So welcome everyone to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, your host Tom Dillon. This is being recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. Um, today's topic is excitingly hints and tips to help kickstart your social housing journey. And we have with us uh, uh, to speak about this, the lovely Christy Brown and Simon Kerr from Auxilium. <laughs> I'm not as confident with that pronunciation. It's a tricky word. Give me a break. It's Latin. Uh, property sourcing, Auxilium property sourcing. Um, uh, before we start, I'd just like to say, by way of a disclaimer, that today's a wonderful discussion, but that nothing said here constitutes financial advice, and you should always take professional advice before investing your hard-earned cash. There may be the odd unplanned swear word along the way. Um, right, let's get going. So the format today, as usual for our sort of speaker meetings, is that we'll um, that uh, uh, our Christian Simon will speak for around uh, 40 minutes, but you know we'll see how it goes. And then we'll take questions uh, from me and from the floor. So if you have any questions as, as Christian and Simon speak to us, then either probably just pop straight in the chat um, and we'll get to them uh, when we get to them. Um, so uh, Christy and Simon are the force behind Auxilium Property Sourcing, following research they conducted with social housing providers and investors uh, and landlords in the private sector. They recognised there was an ever-increasing need to bridge the gap between private housing and social housing uh, sectors. Uh, they're extremely passionate about what they do and love that they're... We don't have enough people on who aren't passionate. Um, I find that most people who speak to us are passionate. I want people who just don't care. Uh, they, they, they're sick of it. Um, they want out. Uh, but <laughs> we don't get enough people like that. But anyway, uh, Simon and Christy are, which is probably better this way around, uh, extremely passionate about what they do and love that their strategy allows them to put a roof over the heads of those that need it most. Um, hello. I'm not sure who's going first. I'll be doing a joint hello to uh, Christy and Simon. Hey, how are you? Well, that's fine. We can we can both talk at the same time. We're quite good at that. Um, Christy, do you want to bring the slides up? I guess, and we can just start talking through everything. I guess it's probably yeah. easiest way, isn't it? Can everybody see that? Uh, I can. I can't speak for everyone. I'm sure if you can, everybody else can. We should be fine. Yeah, I, I can. can. I can. Lovely. Thank you. Um, hang on. There we go. Um, so, as Tom said, this is social housing, hints and tips to help kickstart your property housing and social housing journey. I'll just pass you to Simon first, um, just to tell you a little bit about Auxilium. All right, thank you. Yeah, as, as Tom said, Auxilium is actually Latin for help, which we thought was a wonderful business name when we first started. But then we realised that people actually couldn't pronounce it or spell the damn thing. But anyhow, it is what it is. So um, it's one of those things. So think about your business names. It's a really good thing. So what we do basically is the, the reason for the business came around is we did some training through one of the companies and realised sitting in those rooms full of people that an awful lot of people wanted to get involved in social housing and nobody had a clue how to do it. They've all, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have tried ringing councils and housing associations and providers and hit a brick wall. So, um, we decided to try and help people out with that, basically. So that's what we do. So we spend, a, well, Christy mainly actually, she, the, the business quite, we have different divisions of tasks. So Christy spends an awful lot of her time talking to social housing providers and charities and social enterprises and anybody really who we can link up with to, to form good relationships and provide contracts for people. So um, I do tend to do a lot of the viewings and, and dealing with landlords and handover process. So that's kind of how we do i live in rugby christy lives in blackpool so we live quite a distance from each other but um good old zoom and everything else nowadays it doesn't really matter so that, that's kind of what we do so we help landlords and 
the companies and businesses that supply social housing contracts, we put them together. And then we, um, and then ultimately it's just about providing homes for people. So that's kind of what we do. Yeah. I'll now go back and talk a little bit about myself, just um, so you know a little bit about my background. Um, I've got 17 years public sector and financial experience. So my job was working alongside Treasury, and that was in order to provide the funding for the Department of Work and Pensions, which as you, you may know or may not know, is actually the largest government department in the UK. Um, loved my job, um, absolutely immense. And, and I knew that the things I was doing and the policy work that I was working on was helping to make a massive difference to people um, across the UK. So I bought, I bought my first property in 2006. Um, like most people, I was an accidental landlord, did not have a clue what I was doing. Um, and then a few years later, I did an accredited training program, property training program, which taught me exactly what I should have been doing and really shocked me. Um, but I decided I didn't really want to go and build my portfolio first. I wanted to learn on the ground and work with other people. So I moved into sourcing to build my capital pot in October 2019. Um, and Basically, I absolutely love doing charity work. I work with soup kitchens in my local area, love to do fundraising for various charities. Um, and something that's very, very close to my heart is the veteran need. Um, my partner was a veteran. So we work alongside quite a few charities that house veterans, um, really important to us. So I will now pass you on to Simon to tell you a little bit about him and what he does. Yeah, thanks, Christy. So um, my background could not be more different. So I basically spent 25 years building big, silly cardio systems for people. So that's what I did for a long time. And then every, I've been Australian, obviously, by the silly accent. Um, and then I moved here four years ago with my wife and basically carried on with basically the same job here. And then two years ago, did some property training. We've been, my wife and myself have been landlords in, the, in Australia for a while, still have a house over there. Um, and don't have any property here besides the one we live in. Did our training, that's where we met Christy and her partner, Jamie, um, and that's kind of where the business grew from. So, um, yeah, and, and that's really it. Um, I tend to more concentrate on, like I said, the, the, the talking to the landlords, hundreds of Zoom calls a day like we're all doing nowadays, and um, just, just trying to work out solutions for landlords with empty HMOs, empty family homes, whatever the situation may be. I mean, we're finding a lot of stuff up north nowadays is about the um, council tax banding. And we've done a few HMOs to social housing for clients lately because that's been a big problem for them. So really my job is to kind of find out what the problems are that people are having and see if social housing is a good solution for them. So yeah, like I said, what I do is very different to the part of business Christy does, but it works very well together for us. So. Okay, so I'll move on if it'll let me. Yep. So these are some some background information and things that will help you. Some some people may know this, some may not, but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about um, some of the background behind social housing and, and some of the buzzwords. Okay, so we have the local authority who administers this funding, which will have come from central government. But then you have what I class as providers, which are people um, on the ground uh, who work alongside the local authority or they may do things independently and they provide houses for people as well. So uh, examples would be registered providers, housing association, registered social landlords. They're all exactly the same thing. Okay, so those that, that band 
those names actually all mean the same thing. Um, there are some technicalities in there I won't go into because you can actually have registered and unregistered housing associations, but mainly um, you'll find that when people are referring to that, that's what they're talking about. It, it's, it's ultimately a housing association and new names for them, okay? And then you've got charities. So these are just some examples. There's lots and lots of examples. There's charities, there's community interest companies, there's social enterprises, there's care providers, there's limited companies. There are a lot of people out there providing amazing support and uh, you can touch base with them. You can find a lot of them on the internet, but you know, it's worth having a look because a lot of people think you have to go straight to your local authority. Actually, there's a lot of other people out there on the ground that are also providing these services, which is really important as well. Okay, so that's just some provider examples for you. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about accommodation types. Um, I, I put them in these three categories, if you like. This is how I see them. Um, so, you know, again, you could talk for a lot of time around this, but this is how I look at them. It's a bit simpler for me. Okay, so there's the supported side, which um, that's like a broad spectrum. So that could be people who live in accommodation and are getting daily touch point visits from local authorities, uh, just checking in to see they're okay, um, all the way through to hub support or 24 hour in-house carers. So that's your supportive model. Uh, that tends to be properties that have to be brought up to a certain type of spec as well. So there will be things that the provider who's giving that service needs, whether it be, um, it could be um, accessibility, ramps, um, it could be in-house technology where the, the, the people within the home can actually contact the provider straight direct. There's lots of different things you need to do within that model. Then you've got your general. So these are people that do need some support, but they tend to live in what we call move on accommodation. So they will get less support than the people in the supported model, but they still need that. They need somebody to check on them, maybe to go around. Um, so there's that type of model as well. Those two models, although I'll go into social, tend to be where you'll find what we call social housing leases. So that's where the provider will pay you directly for having that person. Okay, But in the social, that this is what I call it. There's lots of different words for it. But these are people who you deal with directly, um, which some people may be more familiar with. So if you contact the council, they might say, oh, thank you so much. I've got somebody that, you know, has a, a that I want to put in your accommodation on an AST. And if you manage that and, you know, and support them and um, run that property for us, then we'll maybe give you some incentives and we'll make sure that you get your payments. Um, so there's that type of model as well. OK. And then I just wanted to, because some people don't realise the actual customer demographic and examples, and I know loads of charities now that do, you know, and, and they all interlink as well. It's absolutely immense. It, it, honestly, every day is a learning day for me. It surprises me what's out there. Um, but I just wanted to talk through a few of them for you. So you've got homeless. Now, homeless could be, um, and a good example is a veteran leaving the army with his family or her family who needs a home, who doesn't have one all the way through to people who are rough sleeping on the street. The, the model there, um, it, the, there's loads of examples there. Then you've got drug and alcohol abuse. This has risen significantly during COVID. It's quite sad. A lot of the providers I work with, just because people have found it really hard to cope on their own, that, that really has increased. Mental health again, massive increase. Um, there's loads of providers. You, you tend to find the drug and alcohol abuse links a lot with mental health. Um, so they have support packages in place, absolutely spectacular ones. 
again, veterans, as I said, it's massively close to mine and my partner's heart. We do a lot of work and charity fundraising for different providers that do that. Then you've got the asylum seekers. Now that's a contract that's all across the country. People don't realise that all the way up to Scotland. And then ex-offenders. Care leavers is another one. It's quite a niche one, that one. And that's people between the ages of 18 and 25. Again, that's another one that's very close to my heart for personal reasons. Um, and that's one of the ones that I think personally needs quite a bit of support at the moment. Um, and people need there's a lot of people in there that need homes so they could have been people that were in support system as children and now they're leaving care and they need that accommodation you've also got elderly um, so you've got people who, who may live in care homes there's people who get supported living on their own um, and the, the yeah there's, there's loads of different um, type of demographics in that alone um, domestic violence I, I was really really shocked I talked to a lot of domestic violence again this has risen quite significantly um, I look at it from both sides so just an example this this shocked me quite a lot but this is last year so I can't imagine how this has risen in COVID they are looking at the statistics at the moment so last year the office of national statistics said that there was an estimated two so this is estimated 2.4 million adults who are experiencing domestic violence and that was 1.6 million women and 786,000 men but that was last year so you know I you know that's that's again something that let's see how that goes and, and when we're, where we can support providers who's going to need that support for people who need move on accommodation and then finally, there's people who have learning needs. Um, so they may, so that could be somebody with autism who, you know, falls into the supported living spectrum. So they need help. Or it could be somebody who has dyslexia, who needs that support to apply for a job, but needs to live in a home and that support to fill out their application. So as I say, there are so many examples I could go through. This list is not exhausted. But what I love about social housing and the strategy and the fact that you can help is that, it could be you bring a one bed property to this or it could be that you bring um, a project that I've been looking at recently that's going to house 25 veterans um, and it's like a supported living model. So there's so many opportunities here. It could even be if, you, if it's of interest to you that you want to provide a care home that somebody uses as a setting. It, it's just immense. Honestly, what you can do is amazing. So let's see if it's going to let me move now. Now I'm going to pass on to Simon because believe it or not, in this sector, you can do rent to rent to social housing and some areas of the country allow you to do this. So I'm going to let Simon talk to you about that. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. So um, this isn't one that some people know about this. Some people don't. It's a great little strategy if you're a little bit cash poor. Um, but quite a lot of the providers we work with do allow you to secure a property on rent to rent. Lease options as well, obviously outright purchase and everything else. But rent to rent is quite an interesting one. So you can get into a rent to rent property relatively cheaply um, compared to buying it outright anyhow. And then you can pass it on to a, a social housing provider. COVID's been very interesting for this one because a lot of rent to rent to say SA people have given keys back left, right and centre. So there's a lot of insecurity in the rent to rent market we're finding. But the good thing about this is, is that your rent is guaranteed, your income is guaranteed. So when you're talking to a landlord about this, you can say, well, this is going to be the end tenant user. My rent is guaranteed by either through a company like ours or direct to the council or direct to a provider, doesn't matter how you do it. And then 
you can tell them, well, your rental is going to get paid regardless of, of pandemics, for instance, or whatever the situation is, because it's just your part in the rent down the line. So it's been very interesting over the last few months. And I mean, we signed up an eight bed in Coventry Monday for this. So it does work. It works very well. And that landlord, was this, there was an eight bed, it was brand new. Two rooms have been slept in for a couple of weeks. And then he kicked those two people straight out. And we filled the whole house up on a 10 year contract. When Simon says kick those people straight out, can Sorry. I just be clear that we always help people to move on and that's the one thing that we have a... landlord, we will not take a property on unless we yeah. know that that person is going to be supported to move on. Um, so that's really, really important. To Terrible way of saying <laughs> yeah. that's, I'll probably touch base on that actually while I'm at it because it's really interesting because all, every single social housing provider we talk to, especially when we're taking on existing HMOs, they are the first thing they ask us is, is what's happening to the existing tenants. So quite often we have to literally and rightly so as well. exactly where they're going, exactly what homes they're going into. You can't make a person homeless to do a rent to rent, for instance, on a property. So, or, or even if you're buying a HMO that's got tenants in it, you want to do for social housing, you have to make sure that the tenants who are in there are moved on to another home. Because what happens is if, if, if those people become homeless, for instance, then the local authority will become involved because they'll go to the council and say, look, I need a home. Then they'll check their previous address then they'll see that previous address has been handed to a social housing file and that causes massive issues. So yeah, excuse my horrible statement back then, but it was yeah. just <laughs> yeah. in a way like I do sometimes. Thank you for correcting me, Christy. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, that's just, just me yakking away, not thinking. A um, couple of things with the rent. Um, so just reading the measures. I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I'll get to the, There's a question about building insurance and stuff. I'll get to that in a second. Um, Two things with rent to rent to social housing you need to be really important that you know about. One is mortgage lender approval. That's difficult sometimes. So there's a lot of prejudice from lenders about social housing. That comes, you'll find that if you go to purchase a property you want lending. Um, there are lenders out there who will do it. There are lenders out there who won't. There are lenders who'll say, no, we can't do it. And that's just somebody on the end of the phone making an assumption. Generally, um, um, you'll find that um, what you need to do is have a chat to them and find out where in their written terms and condition it says you cannot have that tenant profile so if it's not written there you can it's just them being prejudiced basically if not then what we've spoken well, how we get around this basically is we have a little info pack we give to prospective landlords and in there is our broker contacts and they generally say to us why do you have broker contacts in there we say well because sometimes you need to remortgage your house to the right lender for this product now we're not allowed to give um um, it, we're not allowed to give financial advice because it's not FCA regulated, but if you put the broker list on there, you can then con get them to contact the brokers who can then give them correct advice. So it's a bit of a way of getting around it, basically. There's been a couple of chats about, I'm just seeing through the chat now, I'll get to a couple of things in a second, I'll open up in a second, but they're asking about lenders and mortgage brokers and insurance. It's all the standard questions, really. Um, building insurance and all that. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it costs more money. Yes, it's possible to get. But you just budget. We budget about fifty quid a month for for building insurance and all that, and it covers it fine, no problems at all. Um, do you need contents insurance? It's up to you. If you own all the furniture and all the contents, and yes, it's up to the landlord really. If you're doing rent to rent, to have contents insurance. You as the rent to rent just person. Bearing, just bear in mind though that a lot of providers will. You you normally have to provide the first per furniture pack um, yeah. on leases. This is. And then if anything happens or that furniture is damaged, then that provider will keep replacing that furniture. Um, so that's just something to bear in mind. So when if you're leasing the furniture, then obviously you need contents insurance to cover yeah. the lease, 
take yeah. the lease at the time, you're buying it outright, it's up to you. Yeah. I probably would, it's not that expensive, but I mean, you don't have to, it depends how tight your rent to rent deal is. Um, what are we? Broker recommendations, we can get to that at the end, that's fine, we have quite a few. I mean, for instance, Shawbrook at the moment have an interesting mortgage product where if you don't have any landlord experience, but you've owned your home for 12 months, they will lend on a social housing tenancy as long as there's no HMO license required. So that can be anything up to three bed, four bed, depending on some areas, or if you're with a registered provider who has HMO license exemption, so C3B planning, you can do a six bed if you want. They are quite fine with rooms which have locked doors as long as there's no HMO license in place. So there is specialist lending out there, you just have to ask for it. If your broker doesn't know, then we can recommend some that can. So we'll work out how to drop those in the notes later with some broker contacts or lenders. But it's really just ask the question and get your broker just asked around. But we spent a fair bit of time working with brokers over the last six months to get them to really get their head around lending in this sector. So it's been very interesting. Um, does it matter who writes the management agreement? In the end, all social housing providers, generally speaking, when you're doing rent to rent, they want a management agreement. They don't do corporate lets, they don't do company lets. Because the management agreement, effectively, you're working as a letting agent. You need compliance and insurance in place. They understand compliance, they understand insurance. So just do as a management agreement, get your compliance in place. Uh, it's about 1300 quid a year and away you go. It's the simplest, safest way of doing it. Um, Somebody put here, how do we find providers? There's a list somewhere we can use to contact them. You think it'd be that literally easy? Literally just, it's honestly, it's Googling, it's looking on the internet, it's 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 calling them up and seeing if they need your help. Um, something I have been very conscious about in this market though at the moment, they do have, a lot of providers are telling me they are getting a lot of landlords ringing them. So they get, you know, inundated with calls. So just bear that in mind. So if you contact them and they haven't, I, I'm going to be deadly honest with you, if they haven't got back to you in two or three weeks, it could just be because they've been inundated with queries. So um, just be just be aware that this strategy takes time. So for, for an ex example, from my part, it's taken me six months to secure leases on just one of my providers it's a very very um lengthy process because what, what what's important about it is you, you're gaining trust with those people and they have to get to know you and see what you do um so that's really really important to so just bear in mind it's not one of these quick fix solutions you do need to um maintain a relationship with that provider get to know them um so yeah it's it's a, it's a longer term strategy in my eyes the, the other side of it as well is and this isn't with certainly with all social housing providers in general. How we operate as a business technically is as an agent for the social housing providers. That's how we operate. Some social housing providers, especially the big ones, they incentivize us to work with them because they would rather do it that way. Because it's simpler for them to talk to us as a company. And then basically we deal with the hundreds and hundreds of landlords behind us. It's simpler for them. Like the big refugee provider, like Serco, for instance, they actually pay more rent through an agent like us than if you rang them directly. I can give you the numbers on one we just did in Dudley, for instance. So it was £1,040 for a four bed HMO in Dudley. Uh, we do a management fee of 10%. So that made 936 to the client in his pocket. If that client went directly to Serco, Serco would have paid him 850. So a lot of big providers nowadays are switching over to dealing with agents like ourselves. You don't have to use us. You can go direct some, certainly some smaller housing associations, it doesn't make any difference. Some do, some don't. Um, it just depends. There's literally thousands of them. So it just depends on how they want to operate as a business and whether they prefer to work through a company like ours or whether they prefer to work 
directly with landlords. Some do, some don't. Does it, it, it just pick up the phone, start ringing, Google's your friend. Yeah, main you know, start to build that relationship. That's how it works. You have to build the relationship first and uh, get to know them. I mean, literally, Christy spends seventy percent of your time probably ringing and talking to social housing providers. Besides looking after a nine-month-old, and how many can you bring on a month? On a good month? I'd say three. Yeah. So it's it's not easy, but that's part of the reason why we decided to set this business up because it really really isn't easy. This makes so, it easier for the private sector as well as, as obviously yeah. for the you know for the providers out there who struggle as it is trying to provide a service uh, and then trying to talk to people on the phone so it, you know it really does help them it's it's the most counterintuitive thing in the world i've had so many people say to me why isn't there just a big list on google of all the social housing providers and contacts and their rents and, their, and it'd be great and it'd be perfect it just isn't that way and we're, I will come to that a bit later, actually. Um, there, there's something I'm working on with somebody, so I'll, I'll come to that a bit later, actually, yeah. Simon. So that's fine. Um, Do you want to click pages then? Yeah. Um, but rent to rent. Let me just touch on that for oh, two okay. seconds. Rent to rent to social housing is fantastic. There, there are things you need to do to make it make it work right. Mortgage lender approval is a difficult one, but it's possible. User management agreement, the building assurance, and all that side of things can be done. It's a little bit more expensive. And honestly, it's just like any rent to rent deal. Talk to the owner of the property, find out what their net is, see if there's a difference, make some money, house some people. Really that simple. And okay. just to just to reiterate the fact, um, if you do want to be an agent, you have to be fully compliant, otherwise providers won't work with you. So yeah. there's no point in that going to them and saying, I want to be an agent for you, actually need to be fully compliant and they want to see proof of that. And you have to do volume with them as well. Yeah. You know, we onboard five to ten houses a week. Without that kind of volume, then they won't do it basically it's just yeah it's just the way it works unfortunately so building your reputation and then going yeah. from there if it's something you'd like to get into and just think about all those people that you're helping yeah um okay so, so this slide we brought up just yeah it was just an interesting numbers thing that we worked out so when we deal with a lot of overseas or high net worth clients what we find is that they all talk in yield all of them do now when you're doing yield calculations with social housing as an end tenant versus say a standard HMO rented out to private tenants. These numbers are actually on a HMO um, in Hull for one of our clients. So um, it's a really nice, fairly high end seven bed HMO that he's been having problems with um, occupancy for quite a while up there. So, and you'll see the rent difference is huge, 85 to 42, it's a big difference, right? Um, when we ran all the numbers back, so we've got two years worth of these books on this one and looked at what all his costs were, what all his voids were, what his agent's fees were, what his tenant finder fees were, what his maintenance fees were, what he's been spending on works just to keep the property up to high standard, hold tenants in the place. And then we looked at what the social housing provider, this was a six year contract. And for the six year contract, all he has to do is pay his, I mean, his building insurance was quite low, but he had a really good deal on his building insurance. These were real numbers we got for him. And um, this was a pretty big landlord. So he had lots of insurance in place. So he got quite a good deal, but it's usually about 40 to 45. Um, and what we found was that when we looked at the yield versus the, the gross yield versus the gross yield on the two, there's a big difference. So 15.4% gross yield for private tenants, 8.19% gross yield for social housing. And he goes, oh, it's never going to work for me. But when we went through all the numbers and worked out his actual net in his pocket, 43 quid a month different. That was it. There's nothing in his pocket. And if he has one room, I think, I think his rooms are 85 per room per week. So if he has one room empty a month, then he's making more money on social. But this was over a six year term. So in that six years, he could easily have a lot more voids than what we allowed. So when we looked at the numbers big time and over a long period of time, it made way, way more sense to do it this way for him. 
So in, the, in this sector, it's important to kind of look at the, um, we're there to help people, but also it's about sustainability. So we often get a lot of landlords coming to us and saying, well, I can get £85 for my room. Now, my answer to them would be, if that's what you can get, go and do that, because we're here to help people. And this is what the provider can pay us in order to be sustainable. And that's very, very important to us. And that's, you know, I, I would be checking with the provider what they are able to pay um, rather you know that that's kind of where I'm looking at it from that view so whatever we offer is what they can do to keep sustainable now if you're getting higher rents than that um, then it could be that 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 social housing provider could have issues in the future because they're trying to fill houses because they're so desperate maybe which is quite sad but they're actually paying too much and they won't be able to sustain the services so what you have to remember is the higher the amount they pay you the more they're taking out of the payments for the services that they'll be providing for people that are living in those houses um so that again that's something very very close to my heart the sustainability i had an interesting chat with one of our providers in birmingham the other day what they do, they're quite a big provider. They've got about 100 houses, so they have a reasonably big pool of properties. They have some, I mean, LHA rate in Birmingham, £65 per room per week. These guys average, you know, they have they have HMO rooms where they pay landlords £40 per room per week, and they have some they pay 80 Some of that's just because in Birmingham, it's quite a big place. So, like, if you're talking Wheelie Castle, which is a very cheap end of Birmingham versus Edgbaston, which isn't, to be able to be able to put houses all over the place, they kind of have to pay more in Edgebass than they do in Wheatley Castle. So they negotiate sometimes with landlords, depending on the house price and the mortgage cost, the rent's a bit lower in some areas to be able to pay the higher rents in the other areas. And they have a balance basically that works between them all that, that so that they can work out what works, what doesn't and the sustainability level across the whole portfolio works. So if you're dealing directly with social housing providers, the first thing you say is what's sustainable? Let's have a look at your model. What can you pay me? That means my property gets looked after. And, well. and, su and surprisingly, we actually, um, we help providers to understand what they can pay as well because some of them are sadly they just really need homes they will pay above just because they want to get those tenants in so we work with them with housing solutions so that's something else we do um, um, do you want to take some questions christy so we've got about 10 minutes left i think yeah so. I'm ju i just wanted to plug something quickly before we move on to questions if that's okay tom um i first of all to thank julie talbot for recommending us for this um Julie's on a, a social strategy group that I'm part of, who's headed up by Amy Val, and we are part of an, an endorsed, uh, we are endorsed, sorry, by the Winston Church Memorial Trust and National Housing Federation. And it's all about raising standards across, across the house, social housing models for those who are homeless. So, it, you know, it's really close to our hearts. Um, we, we, like we explore new techniques all the time. Uh, we're very lucky that we have this robust network and they are all active professionals who, bring their own like unique attributes to this group um, but it means we can all work together and, and we do that across the public the private the third and charitable sectors so you know it's an absolutely amazing group if anybody's interested if you want to drop me a message I can send your details through to Amy um, who's who's building that strategy group um, but I feel very lucky and privileged to be part of that and to be endorsed by people like Winston Churchill and uh, National Housing Federation so I'll just pass over now for any questions you've got and I'll stop sharing. Thank you very much indeed. Um, thanks to Sam and to Christy. Uh, uh, great stuff there. So um, I'm just trying to catch up with the chat and make sure I'm not muted, which I'm not. So that's uh, always a good start. Uh, why don't we 
uh, crack straight into some questions from the chat, well, which you, you kind of already covered. Uh, Philip asks whether you work, operate in Manchester. Yes, we do. Yeah, so we operate across the Manchester corridor. Um, we have access to five or six or seven different providers now. Anything from general homeless, refugee, um, mental health. So yes, we do. Not in the end, we don't operate every single postcode, but it's one of those things where it just gives a buzz. Basically, tell us where you are, and we'll check. Excellent, thank you. Um, I wrote down <coughs> as you started speaking. I wrote down. So very well this, uh, so well this, you know, helping people, which, and by the way, you know, and, uh, of course, talking jest is very important, but I was thinking, how much money can I make? Uh, you know, classic uh, landlord question. Um, as you say there, well, landlords think in those terms and, and, and have to, because like you say, it has to be sustainable on both sides. If we're not making some money, then uh, then something's wrong. So um, let's say I'm looking at, uh, like, funny enough, when I was chatting to Simon on the, on the calls before we, before we got on the call, you were talking, Simon, about the, the perfect property for an example you sometimes give um, uh, for the kind of thing that would work. So why don't we start there? What, what, sure. what, what's the perfect uh, property for, for the kind of thing? I have a bit of a joke with this one. It's literally a house on double yellow lines on a busy street opposite cemetery. It's perfect. Because what it is, is nobody wants to buy the thing, so it's cheap. And social housing don't need parking out the front. They're not really worried about the view out the front. And... It's just a great, we're doing one in um, Birmingham at the moment, which is actually, it's a lovely house. We've got it 25 grand cheaper. And you go upstairs to the top bedroom, look out, this is massive cemetery across the road. You look over the brick wall and it's just a horrible view. It's not a horrible view, but it's not a view that a family would buy the property for, for buy to let. But for social housing, they don't care. You know, it's weird. So a lot, we get a lot of comments from people saying that a, a property for social housing should be in a bad area. It's not that generally speaking, almost all providers won't take properties in bad areas because you can't put vulnerable people in a bad area. You can't put vulnerable people across the road from a pub. You can't put vulnerable people in, in a HMO, both shops, where there's a bet friend in a bottle shop where you can buy alcohol. It's not a good environment for them. So you, you, your mindset has to change a little bit when you're buying properties to suit this need. Um, but it also means that, like, in Birmingham, Coventry, a lot of where I do a lot of, a lot of work at the moment, what we're finding is a lot of the HMO landlords who put shared bathroom, HMOs a little bit further out than the required area that really would because it's cheaper, are really struggling, but they're perfect locations for social housing. They're, they're on nice streets, not too quiet, not too busy, um, but the location's great for social housing, but it's terrible for students and professionals nowadays. Um, another example, I, I went to a viewing the other day with the refugee provider, and I drove down the street, mine sat and I took the long way around the whole street, and it was a beautiful street, Lovely detached houses, semi-detached houses, BMWs in the driveway. I got out of the car. I looked at the provider. He looked at me and went, yep, street's too nice. That was the first thing we both said to each other. And the problem is the neighbours tend to notice the tenant profile too much. And then they complain to the local authority. And it gets to a point sometimes if the complaints are too much, then they will hand you back your property. So you need to be aware that, that the tenant profile, cul-de-sacs are, are the best example. You never put social housing in a cul-de-sac. The neighbours know each other. They're all out the front having barbecues and talking to each other. They'll notice the tenant profile and complain about it. I think in a, in a roundabout way, what Simon's saying is you need to understand the provider need. You can't just go and buy a house and yep. think it'll be suitable for social housing. You need to understand what that provider wants. That's the most important thing. I won't even look at a property till I know what that provider wants. Yeah. So, you know, that's the most important thing to them. Um, and they'll all have different specifics. Well, um, when we're, yeah, when we're working with 
people purchasing houses, we actually get them to get offer accepted pending social housing contract approval. It's like pending surveys, like pending everything else. And then we get them a contract secured in place by basically goes through a submission process and then the, the provider will check the location. They'll check to make sure there's no crime in the issues. There's no antisocial behavior. There's no, nothing going on. So then yeah, so just because you present a house and they say they like it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to uh, get that contract because there's a lot of checks they have to do in the background yeah. before they'll take it on yeah. as well as, you know, looking at the property and making sure it's suitable. But it's also about being creative, isn't it, Simon? So uh, a lot of landlords we work with at the moment may have family homes who are willing to change it to HMO um because that's where the need is at the moment there's a massive massive need for um i saw that uh the is it dawn from um i'm sure you can kind of agree with me on this there's a massive need for single you know single occupancy so you know if you've got a block of flats if you've got a house where you can make it kind of a little bit independent uh single rooms um the providers really really appreciate that that that's a massive need at the moment and the other thing you got to remember is these properties need to be fit for purpose. I mean, if you're just talking general homeless, refugee, all that kind of stuff, you don't need to spend £60,000 on a renovation. You, know, you can do if you like. You can do if you like. I'm sure they would appreciate it. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's different effects, isn't it, Simon? Landlord carpet, whitewashed walls, magnet kitchens, decent quality fixing so they last, good quality boiler, you know, safe, secure home, you know, all fire safety on point. That's really it, you know. I speak to a lot of landlords at the moment, big professional HMOs they spend a fortune on, you know. I spoke to a landlord the other day that spent more on a kitchen than he did on his renovation for a social housing project. You know, it just makes a big difference. So you can look at this as it, it's a, sometimes it's better use of your funds than, you know, spending all that renovation money trying to attract students or professionals. So you just have to think about how the model works. Um, Howard's asked a question, yes you're, you're right there, like local transport, easy town centre or social service access is ideal. Um, a lot of providers now are opening up hubs um, where people can go and visit and there's, there's services there for them. So yes, access to transport is really, really important to them. Some providers actually have a specification as to how near to the town centre property needs to be. Um, every single one is different, some like prefer to have them further outside you know it all depends that's why it's so important to speak to your providers and understand what they want it's all tenant centric that's the most important thing smashing thank you um going back then to uh, uh, cash which is um <laughs> always uh, always a safe ground um yeah. let's imagine i've got a thoroughly ordinary house and a thoroughly ordinary street with the ticks and boxes for, for a yeah. social provider housing provider x um and on that street, uh, I get say the average rent say six hundred pounds a month for the three bed semi. That, uh, that you know, it's a house, the yeah. three full three bed semis. What typically, and this might be a piece of string question. What typically, typically, are you or the company going to be able to offer me? Are we looking at five fifty, six fifty? Exactly. I can talk you through Birmingham because I know that like the back of my hand. It relates basically the same everywhere. The north is a little bit less, but give or take, it's the same everywhere. So, if you have a three bed house in Birmingham somewhere, two reception rooms, as a family home private rent, you'll get about 750 less your expenses. Okay, managing agent if you use one, monthly operating expenditure, voids, repairs, all that kind of stuff, right? So you might, after a mortgage, you might net two, 250 in your pocket, okay? If you pop the same property onto social housing as a family let, if you get 750 private rent, you'll probably get 650, 600 social housing. But you don't need a letting agent, there's none of your time out to, um, do the in managing if you do it yourself. There's no monthly operating expenditure because the social housing provider covers all of it. You, you cover the roof, the boiler, the structure, 
but generally speaking, if they're in good nick, you don't need to spend a lot of money on them. Um, so that lets you mortgage, your interest rate will be a little bit higher, but that, I mean, if you're paying 300 mortgage, you put 300 quid in your pocket. So you'll make more net off that. The same house, if you turn it into a four bed mini HMO, stick fire doors on it, do all the fire safety. In Birmingham, you'll get about 1,050 pounds out of that less you mortgage. So you'd be clearing 650, 700 in your pocket. So over a long period of time, yes, it does. Where it doesn't work, generally speaking, is big HMOs. If you're doing eight, 10, 12, 15, 20 bed HMOs, what we tend to find is the commercial valuations that you're getting back off those and the mortgage you're paying associated with that don't make a lot of financial sense. So this tends to work better six bed HMO and down. Makes way more financial sense. Um, flats, blocks of flats, so four to six flats, like a freehold leasehold split in my house, they work for treat, they work really well. Um, single one bedroom flats, generally no, because not enough difference in them. It's very, very, doesn't work very well at all. So three bed family homes and up tend to be the best ones for finances. So you make either the same. So in Birmingham, for instance, we've run some numbers on four bed HMOs privately rented versus um, social housing. And you make more money out of social housing, like a fair bit more because well, it, just, it, just, it just works better. I've been doing this for a fair while now. Um, I mean, I've been doing podcasts for, for, for a while then, but maybe three, four months of this and obviously interview people before. I'd say I'm, I'm welcome to someone else to come back, but I reckon that's the best answer I've ever heard um, in the sense that you actually answered the question and did very little else. So, uh, Congratulations to you, sir, for a I've, I've, I've had that speak question about award. 300 times on the phone in about the last three weeks. So <laughs> well, practice to perfect it. Um, other yeah. people may have different views on that, of course. That's only my opinion. But uh, from the Asper's point of view, that was an excellent answer. Um, in, in the end, you have to explain this to people in language they understand, you know. Well, that's good. Well, that's what I'm Yeah, income versus expense, you know, with this model and risk. Those are the three things that people care about, yeah. you know. Um, so, it's really important in this strategy as well just to kind of make it clear as well that you know when we're doing property we're taught to look should it be a flip you know if, if the flip doesn't work can we use it as a buy to let in this strategy we tend to say right this is what the provider that we're using now and they may be a mental health provider if something happens in a few years time and the contract doesn't renew will my property cover other providers that may have other needs so it's, it's thinking totally totally differently yes um how do I, you touched on this, but I wanted to just prod this particular hornet's nest or uh, or box of milk tray chocolate uh, once more, which was to say, um, uh, how do I find the people or companies, you're talking about providers and things, who are going to uh, who are take these properties off me and pay me money for it? The obvious answer is call you guys and you might be able to help, but, um, uh, or, you know, other companies who do a similar job. But um, from what you were saying, it's, it's difficult or sometimes even impossible perhaps for people with one, two, three properties to, to deal directly with the providers and they're better off going through a company. Is that... I, think, I think this is the important thing I'm trying to stress is don't, you know, it's not, don't go to them with the property. The property is the last piece of the jigsaw. You need to understand what they need. Um, but if you do have a property, by all means, you can check with them whether it fits, but don't be um, disheartened if they actually say, actually, it's not what we need. So for me, it's kind of the other way around. A lot of investors we work with and landlords, we do get people bringing us properties and we can help them, but we have to look at different ways of working with that property or maybe bringing, um, bringing the spec to a, you know, to a different place. Simon, would you agree? Yeah. Some um, of that's an area saying. question as well. Yeah. Birmingham is probably the easiest place for you to find your own social housing provider, to be quite honest with you. 
We do very little business in Birmingham, even though that know the numbers very well, because there's an awful lot of social housing providers there that are quite easily accessible. Not all of them are great. So this is where the question about sustainability and how their model works, you need to have a very good conversation. With yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw the recent letter that was posted about Birmingham from the council. They're doing masses to address that. Um, and I feel quite privileged and Simon does that we work with the providers that they recommend. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really important. Um, a lot of pe a lot of providers in this space are being called because they're doing it. Sounds horrible, this, but some of them, you know, there's some amazing ones, but some of them aren't really providing the service that the customer needs because at the end of the day, that, that's what they're there for. To give you some idea, there's a provider at the moment in Birmingham. So an average three bed house in Birmingham, you'll get six to seven hundred and fifty pounds out of a social housing provider. They're offering 1300 at the moment, right? Which sounds amazing for a landlord. You think that's fantastic income. But how do they do that? They do that because, A, they're not providing the care. They're not providing, doing any maintenance on your property at all. And in six to seven months' time, your rent will stop. There'll be people in your house on licenses who don't even know their names. And that provider will suddenly be out of business. It's exactly what happens. They just do it to make money. So don't just, look, yeah, don't just look at the numbers. Do your due diligence on them as well. For us, an actual high rent return like that, unless they're doing very specialist supportive care, is actually a giant red flag. We're like, what the hell are they doing? You know, it's actually a giant red flag. Whereas in most businesses, if somebody pays you a lot of money to do something, you go, yay. No, not in this. It's totally the opposite. I don't know why and how they can actually afford to do that. Um, how, once, once I've got the property with the provider, how, how am I or how would you uh, check that that property is being properly managed? We go so, and do regular checks. So arrange with the again you have to bear in mind the tenant profile uh, so you, you would just arrange with the provider to go and do a viewing and check it's okay how often would that be or does that depend on the tenant type and how long you've had the pro pro property as well like anything else we, we do it as a business quarterly so quarterly we have a whatsapp account with every client we do a video we have a go a property condition report so a it's the stuff that the provider is missing so they get told what needs to be fixed but secondly, as you as the owner, because you're responsible generally for the boiler, the structure and the roof, it's much, much easier for you to fix the little problems before they come big ones. So we give a property condition report to you and we give a property condition report to the provider and we make sure it gets done. And if the provider's really not doing their job properly, then we just simply exit that contract for another provider. So yes, you need to keep an eye on them. You mentioned, what? I'm going to come to, we've got questions in the chat, so I'm going to do a quick fire question. Uh, try and make the most out of the last 10 minutes. But... Um, uh, you mentioned the difference between sort of company lets versus ASTs, which you don't use, and you mentioned, you mentioned company yeah. lets you don't use so much as management agreements. Is that was that specifically around rent to rent? So I mean, yeah, okay. So yeah, so in rent to rent, you if you're going to control a property by rent to rent, you're actually on a management agreement. Um, how we work as a company ourselves is we have a, a type of management agreement that we sign with you, the property owner. Then our business has the contract as an agent signed with the social housing provider. All of the tenants in the property are controlled by the social housing provider and they're almost always held on licenses, similar to how you are in a hotel. So that gives the provider the ability to move those tenants on within a two hour period. Now that sounds a bit harsh, but they need that ability because of some of the tenant profiles they're dealing with. Yeah, so they might need to move them back into another type of accommodation or move them into that area not working for them. So we yeah, they just generally tend to swap them between houses they have quite regularly until the actual personality mix works. Yeah, and they're comfortable. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not kicking them out in the street, but they, they need the ability to move them very quickly if there's a personality clash in the house. Speaking of which, um, uh, and I speak from experience on this, so I've had this myself, and I'm, I'm very pro-social yeah. housing in the sense that I have some of my 
single like sort of social yeah. asthma, asthma providers don't come across like I'm negative but uh, I've had it where um, people because of the time people you're dealing with uh, people are struggling and got issues sometimes um, uh, can whatever go out we had one where um, a lady went out shouting and screaming on the street um, and the, the, the care provider went and dealt with the issue pretty promptly but clearly that's not going to please the neighbours and if that was a property where I previously self-managed it understandably than the neighbours who know my you know number and know you know got my contact details which they should do um the, the, some unsurprisingly contact me said your tenants out shouting and screaming on the street which doesn't which isn't good um uh, what would you what would you say to that you say look that, that's something that might happen sometimes you need to be ready for that and like you, yeah. you touched on before because, about, because, yeah. because of the people that you're dealing with you need to understand that social housing is no, it, you've got to understand that these are very vulnerable people normally that need a lot of help and support and that that could happen. So if it is something you want to get into, you know, it's important to do your research on it and do, you know, do your research on kind of how it all works. I can give you a really good on the ground example of that, actually. So we were viewing a property with a social housing provider and the neighbour came out and said, I know what you're doing with this house because I've been talking to, so it was a long story about how they found out. They did. They go, look, we're worried about social housing people moving in next door. What do we do about that? And the social housing provider who was on the viewing said, here you go. Here's my business card. Here's my number. If there's a problem, call me. It was that simple. So the, the, the social housing provider just gave the neighbour a business card and said, if you have any problems, call me. That's the difference between working with a good social housing provider and a bad one. Yeah, excellent. No right, let's uh, let's crack through these uh, questions. Thanks for answering. I think that that that, sure. that, was, that was what I'd say to people as well. You just got to be ready for those issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, can you have uh, can you have a long term ongoing contract? I think the answer is probably yes to this one, isn't it? Yeah, they range, they really range, you know, you can have anything from two years, believe it or not, all the way up to um like ten to fifteen years. So it just depends on the provider and what they give and um, and they do it on a rolling basis as well. So although you might get a five year contract, if they really, you know, if that property serves them well, then they may renew after five years. So you get another five, so you've had 10. So, you know, it, it all depends on, again, on the provider and what, what leases And demand offer. as well. I mean, I had a chat to the, one of the national refugee providers the other day. They have 11,000 people sitting in hotel rooms at the moment. So do you think they're going to give you a pro property back if they don't have to? No, they're not. They're going to want to roll that contract forever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on my third three-year three-year leasing. I've just started my third one with the one yeah. provider, so I can back that up. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, that question came in from Philip. Thanks for that. Next one from Chris. Typically, how long does it take to agree a contract? I guess that might be a piece of string question. Yes, uh, I'd say so. It just depends. Some some. Um, so Simon, probably your best giving this example from 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 when you sign. Actually. Okay, so that's area dependent and company dependent. Yeah. Generally speaking, the big national companies take five to seven days to say yes or no. Local small ones you have good relationships with is usually a 30-second phone call. If they know the area really well and you don't know, have the street. At least I can ring a provider in Birmingham and say, here's the street address, this is the house, do you want it? They go, yep. And that's the end of that conversation. But it is, about, just to stress, Simon, it is subject to the viewing yeah. and then obviously yeah. happening. I mean, they the know the street, they know the address, they go, yeah, we'll have that providing. Yeah. The checks that they do in the background and more so sometimes on the landlord. We had a landlord not back once because he was involved in modern slavery, if you believe. So the checks that get done after that to a, a firm yes are done on the local authority check to make sure it's not a high crime or prostitution rate in the area, to make sure the landlord's not doing anything dodgy, the owner of the property, all that kind of stuff. But I can sometimes get a very tentative yes very quickly. Other times we have to go through a very official submission process, which takes five to seven days. It just depends on the provider. 
Okay. I, I suppose the only the only positive there is the person was involved in modern slavery rather than old-fashioned slavery, at least. Yeah, I know. That was, that was a very, very interesting conversation yeah. to tell him about that one, anyhow. But, yeah, that was a fun conversation. Because he was kind one. of asking why am I being knocked back, and it was a bit like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, orcs. Um, your guess, you think asks, he would have known, wouldn't you, really? But anyway. Yeah, maybe he should have asked himself. Um, he asks for your website address, contact details. I think, Yogesh, you've missed those. We've got certainly phone numbers and email addresses further up in the chat. I'll speak to Simon and Christy after and see what happens. Yeah, with the, we're just um, we're building the website at the moment. So um, so that should be live in, in a few uh, weeks. We can, I mean, you've got our email addresses anyhow, Tom. We can just yeah. put them all, yeah. I've put them all in the chat anyway for people. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, I've just noticed. Are you all right? I think you accidentally shared it with me privately, Christy. Am I all right sharing your yeah, phone? Yeah, 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 of course. Sorry. With everyone? Yeah, yeah. No, just an accident. I'm just have a chat to anybody who has some questions and yeah. So I'd like, to, I'd like to apologise, Yogesh, you were right, I was wrong. Uh, the details are now there. Um, so that's there, and I noticed everyone's paying good attention, so I think uh, we've got some phone calls coming in. Um, um, somebody wrote there, sorry, how do we find a good insurance broker for this, please? Just ring a bunch of them until you find somebody who has a clue what they're talking about, just like anything with property. Um, there are plenty out there, but we tend to use Movo. That's the one we use. Yeah, we use Movo in South Wales. They're really good. Lisa from there is great. Um, but you just ring really, up, you describe what you're wanting, and you'll find that a lot of insurance yeah. brokers yeah. can't cover it. They just Mortgage brokers are actually worse half the time. Insurance brokers are fairly straightforward. Mortgage ones, they'll either say, oh, this is impossible, or they'll be quite proactive. So um, yeah, mortgage is actually generally as harder, but there's definitely plenty I of think after the I think after the recent court judgment as well, and I think that will will start to change, and, and a lot more mortgage brokers and yeah. mortgage providers will, will kind of come round to to social housing, definitely. Yeah, I've I've had lots of conversations with mortgage brokers, and we're starting to have conversations now directly with the BDMs, just because they need to understand how it works. The biggest problem with lending is that the mortgage lenders themselves don't like the idea of having to evict vulnerable tenants if you don't pay your mortgage. That's their biggest problem, really. So if you default on your mortgage and then they have to evict vulnerable people, that's the bit they really don't like. Nothing else concerns them, really. They're not worried about the contract structures. They're not worried about anything else. They're worried about having to evict vulnerable people. And Which, the, again, is right, because these are extremely yeah. vulnerable people. So, so, so yeah. I've got, I've got two quick final questions I want to finish yeah. on. Um, uh, one was, um, well, so to, to finish off this, the previous one, actually, was to do with management agreement. So if someone owns the property, so if I, for example, own a property and I'm going to put it with a, a social uh, landlord or whatever, you know, provider, then um, am, I, am I okay using the company let versus the management agreement? Does that, does that depend on exactly which, which provider? So there's, there's two ways that'll happen. If you're direct with a provider, they will supply you a contract that they have drafted up and you'll sign that one, obviously. Okay. If you work through us as a business, we have our own management agreement that we use. We're, we act as, we're like a letting agent, if you like. So it's what you would do with a letting agent, basically. Sure. No different. Uh, and then lastly, um, you mentioned, I thought, very interesting, uh, and I wanted to touch back on it, was about council tax. The fact that some landlords, I, I imagine what you mean is that some landlords were getting the rooms individually banded for council yeah. tax in certain areas, yeah. and therefore they're coming to you going, well, this doesn't work, so we need yeah. to work something else, uh, and then they come to you. Have I got that right? Correct. Yeah, it's because providers within the, within the lease will cover bills, so they could be council tax. Yeah, so yeah, so we did just did one in Barnsley where the guy had a five bed and he had three ensuite rooms and two rooms with shared bathroom, but they had a bathroom each, so it's really five ensuite rooms, and he was getting council tax per room, so it was just killing his profits. So we gave him a rent offer, I think what was it? It was a thousand and ten pounds for a five bed HMO in Barnsley. 
and he bit our hand off for it, basically. Because the amount of profit he was making out of that lessee's mortgage is vastly more than what he's getting at the moment because of the council tax issues. Sebastian, um, I'd like to thank, uh, thank everyone for attending, all those to listening on the podcast, and a special thanks to our speakers, Christy Brown and Simon Kerr from Auxilium Property uh, for speaking to us today. Tune in next week when the topic will be completely unknown um, because I'm speaking to lots of speakers, <laughs> but I haven't uh, actually put one in yet, so uh, hopefully we'll have a speaker. Um, if not, then it'll be one of our fabulous uh, mastermind-type meetings. <laughs>